Ron Salvatore has one of the greatest Star Wars collections in existence. That's not hyperbole. Ron has curated a storied assortment of -of one-of-a-kind pieces that highlights the beloved original trilogy era of Star Wars and showcases the equally loved figures and memorabilia that accompanied it. But just as importantly, these prototypes and pre-production items pull back the curtain on the process behind the creation of the toys. They give us a sense of history, of both the Star Wars line and Kenner itself. Within the wonder, there's a sense of order in the way Ron displays his collection. He arranged the pieces he's acquired in chronological order to their releases. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Power of the Force, and the 1986 line that never was. Placards describing the significance of certain prototypes line his glass cases. They create the effect of being in a museum and having a written guide clue you in on the history and importance of what you're viewing. And what you view can be overwhelming in an environment like that. At once, it's a true homage to both the craftsmanship of and the reverence for the collectibles of the 70s and 80s. And it tells a fascinating visual story. A painted hard copy may sit next to an unproduced or early model, followed by a figure you may have only ever seen in photos online and wondered if it truly existed. And then, in that moment, it's there in front of you, and you're seeing it in person. And some of the items, such as the sculpts and wood patterns, are responsible for all of the figures or vehicles sold in stores. Think about that for a moment. They are the earliest three-dimensional models of the Star Wars toys that are as familiar to you as your childhood bedroom. You know every detail, and you delight in seeing the pieces that led to the ones you owned. And standing in front of an entire collection of items of that magnitude, you try to focus on one, but there are so many colors and figures surrounding it that your eyes cannot hold still. Every square inch of his cabinets are mesmerizing. But his displays make sense. They're aesthetically pleasing. They're cleanly composed. And for a Star Wars fan, they are a collector's heaven. I've had the fortune of watching many longtime collectors with incredible collections of their own stand slack-jawed and wide-eyed in front of Ron's collection, left speechless by what he has curated. His displays are treasure troves. But there's so much more than that. Many of these special pieces were acquired in the 1990s and at the beginning of the new century, before Star Wars collecting exploded in the years surrounding the sequel trilogy. These items were souvenirs from a time long past. They were mementos from trips out to Cincinnati to meet with former Kenner employees. They happened before the social media gold rush, before the internet hit the mainstream, before there was competition to grab every vintage relic that surfaced. Many of Ron's pieces mark moments within his collecting journey. Some came from friends. Others were purchased in the company of friends. Some were the result of a first meeting or of a memorable trip to the Midwest. Still others were trades. And there are the really early ones that he purchased from an ad in the back of a collector's publication, without any photos to show him what he'd be receiving. 
and they're together in one location, many of them literally saved from being thrown away or forever lost to time. And this is where the magic comes in, because there is a galaxy in those display cases. Today, Ron has some incredible stories to share with you. This is a conversation with collector Ron Salvatore about some of the key Kenner items he owns. This is a look at the stories behind the items spanning the entire Kenner line, from Star Wars through the power of the Force and beyond. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. episode, we sat down with our friend and fellow collector Ron Salvatore to discuss his experience attending this year's Cincinnati Toy Show Weekend. And Ron and I did a three-part series at the end of last year, where we looked at the in-depth articles he wrote in 2022 for the Star Wars Collector's Archive blog. So if you'd like to learn more about the history of the early bird kit, the first Star Wars figurines, unlicensed lightsabers, and other fascinating topics he covered, check out episodes 113 through 115 of the podcast. Through his entries and articles for the Archive, as well as through his unwavering interest in exploring Star Wars and the hobby, Ron has helped collectors like myself to better understand the memorabilia from the era of the Kenner toys. And that understanding leads to a deeper appreciation for everything surrounding these items why they were created, how they were produced, what it took to make them, and the changes and challenges along the way. For this episode, I wanted to do something different with Ron. I wanted to have a collector's conversation, but this time, the focus would be on his collection. So I came up with a fun challenge. I asked Ron to share the story behind one item from each of the four main categories from the Kenner Star Wars line. The four are Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and 1985's Power of the Force. I left it up to Ron to decide what to cover, and I hoped he would not only explain what he knew about each piece, including its significance or history, but would also tell the story of how he acquired it. Fortunately for us, Ron was up for the challenge. So let's take a trip to his home to learn about some of the special pieces in his collection. And when we're finished, I'll make sure to ask him about some of the Kenner mysteries he'd like to explore this coming year, as he attempts to fill in the gaps to bring us answers. 
If you're ready, come join me as we visit Ron Salvatore and his legendary Star Wars collection for an unforgettable collector's conversation. Ron, thank you so much for taking some time out today to share some of the stories and some of the items from your collection. Yeah, it's always great, David. So I definitely appreciate the opportunity. And you you really have an amazing collection. Yours was one of the, the first ones that I saw that, to me, opened my eyes as to how a person can curate um, and, and what you know, what certain runs look like and, and even just, you know, the pre-production process in general too. So it's one that I've always used as a model for how I collect. Um, and, and I'm, I'm thankful always, you know, for you opening your, your home to, uh, to our, your fellow collectors too, to, uh, you know, just to, to have us over and, and for us to, uh, to learn more about the items that mean something to you and what you've acquired over the years. Oh, well, it's good to hear that. And I, I appreciate the, the kind words. So of course it's, when you spend as much time collecting as I have, you know, it's like, it's always satisfying to kind of put it together and have someone visit and appreciate it. So it's, uh, I, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to visit, you know, on several occasions. Oh, it's always fun. Um, when you are collecting, you know, especially in the last maybe year or two, have you, have you changed your approach at all to how you curate or how you display your items? Um, no, it hasn't really changed significantly. You know, I'm kind of set in my ways. You know, I'm always buying things here or there. I haven't had any real opportunities to buy anything big over the last couple of years, I don't think. Um, it's kind of, I've gotten, you know, I went through a period of like five years where I got quite a, bought quite a few big items and I got quite a few big big trades, you know, like stuff coming in in trades I did. And in the last couple of years, it hasn't really changed much. You know, I, I'm buying stuff all the time, but it's usually these little things. It's not like anyone would even notice. Uh, but yeah, I don't know why that is. I just, I, I haven't really had opportunities um, so much. So yeah, I, I just, I'm always doing my thing. You know, I, I devote some time every day to, to looking around for things you know, on eBay or Facebook. And but I haven't really bought much you know i have so much stuff that you know last year i've sold a lot of excess things that i didn't really need anymore which kind of needed to be done and i still have some things to, to let go of um but i i haven't really changed any approach over the last couple of years can you share uh, a few examples of some of the items that you've picked up this year Ooh, this year um i trying to think of something that's really I mean, the stuff I tend to get a kick out of is stuff that most people probably don't care about. You know, I was able to buy this year. Um, I, we talked about the archived miniatures, Neville Stockin figures, right? The, the the small metal gaming miniatures that, you know, date from the late 70s that I, I've really been into. Um, we had a whole discussion about those, right? Last time I was on. Yes. And they were, um, they're pretty much the first Star Wars figures that were ever produced. Yeah, they're like, you know, unlicensed, hand-sculpted, 
lead lead miniature figures. And Yehuda Kleinman and I wrote an article about them that you could find on the Star Wars Collector's Archive blog. Um, but, you know, I, I picked up, you know, I found a guy who had several of the a Tusken Raider that neither Yehuda or I nor I have ever seen. Um, I mean, we'd seen photos of it, but I'd never seen it in person. Had I never had a chance to buy one. And this guy had several of them. And, and they're really high quality. And it, I think they might actually be from Neville Stock, like they might be Neville Stockin's mold masters because they came in a little box that said masters on it. And I was like, I don't know, these are like set aside. Cause you know, when you make a mold of those, you need, you need, you made a sculpt, right? And then you make a mold of the sculpt and then you pop out several really high quality casts and use those to make a mold that has, you know, say like seven or eight pieces in it. Right. So your, your original models you use for that, that production mold would be like your mold masters. And it, I kind of have a sense that these may have be mold masters for that line. Cause they came in a box that said masters and there was several immaculate little castings. Um, and the guy said he got them out of a warehouse in Oakland, which is where you know, archive miniatures was, was located in the, the Oakland, San Francisco area. So anyway, that was a, a cool find, you know, and I sent one to Yehuda and he was ecstatic to get one. Um, so that was just stuff like that is what I appreciate, you know. Ron, um, that is fascinating. And I'm so glad that something like that, that has a history to it and that, that means so much to to that line, um, went to you and Yehuda as well, too. You know, two people yeah, who I mean, really appreciate what Neville did and, um, and, and the quality of his craftsmanship. Yeah, stuff like that makes me happy. And then, you know, I found... You know, I collect those, like, the early Factors-branded Kenner store displays, the early marketing. I think we may have talked about this on your podcast as well, that, you know, the Factors, which was a licensee of Lucasfilm, they made the standees and the posters early on, that Kenner used the posters and the standees. They put a Kenner logo on them and sent them out as store displays early on, like in 1977. Uh, And... um, I have, as far as I know, it's the only, I mean, Gus might have one, Gus Lopez might have something similar, but I have, the only one I've seen anyway is a, a shipper with, that had C-3PO and R2-D2 in it. It's got a Kenner label on it, so it kind of puts the whole history in context because it it shows that Kenner sent these out as displays. Um, anyway, I found another shipper with this one, a different label on it. it it's not, the, the shipper is absolutely hammered. <laughs> it's just completely hammered. But it is a shipper, and it had Chewbacca and, and Vader in it. Um, so that was a that was another really satisfying thing that I acquired this year. Uh, but again, it's not most people aren't going to care. <laughs> it's just stuff that makes me happy. It's not like <laughs> these are things that people are going to come to my house and their eyes are going to bug out. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm always just hunting for stuff and things like that are what really stick in my mind is good finds from this year. And also just recently, this isn't the same thing, but I, I bought like a a scrapbook. This is on eBay. It's like a some kid's notebook that he or possibly she put together in the late 70s or early 80s. And it's got these hand drawings and very immaculate little hand drawings, Princess Leia and the Landspeeder all colored with markers, like very good drawings. And then the kid cut out, had the Kenner card backs of various characters pasted in here like a scrapbook. So you turn a page and there'd be another card back in there. And then a little essay that the kid wrote in pencil about the character and like what the character meant to him. (laughs) So I was like, 
stuff like that is like this one of a kind. Like I just, I just enjoy getting stuff like that. Um, and that's something so. that would normally be passed on or thrown out. So again, I'm glad that it went to somebody like you who appreciates this kind of work as well too. Yeah, it's, it, it's certainly like interesting. That. Yeah, they keep me going. It's like you know, it's not like you're buying a hard copy or something, but it's which is a big piece that you're probably going to spend a lot of money on or trade a lot for. But it's just these are the little finds that keep us engaged in collecting and keep us excited to look for new things. Okay, so let's dive into your collection a little bit. Um, I've asked you to share uh, at least one piece from from each of the Kenner lines, which was Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and Power of the Force. So let's start uh, at the beginning of the line with Star Wars. Um, you have not shared... Uh, these pieces with me, so I'm 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 not sure you know exactly what we'll be uh, talking about today, which makes it really exciting. So, what is the first piece? Um, the first one is I'm sure you're aware of it, but I just I, I scribbled these down quickly after we spoke, trying to figure out what to talk about. But for Star Wars, I put um, I have the the wood pattern for the the back. The very the end cap of the the Kenner X-wing fighter, the three three quarter inch X-wing fighter, um, and I don't know your listeners may be familiar, but a, a wood pattern is like the original master artwork for a vehicle component. So someone had to, uh, you know, a master craftsman had to make out of wood um, the piece that was used to create the mold that was later used to mass produce that X-Wing, the cap. And it's like an iconic, it's, it's a part of a vehicle and you wouldn't think, Oh, it's just a part, but anybody who collects star Wars sees that part and they know exactly what it is. Right. <laughs> Cause it's like, everyone has looked at the back of that X-Wing. Uh, and it's, it's done at two, a two up size. So it's, you know, I don't know, geez, it's like five inches tall. Maybe this is twice the size of the, the actual piece and it's all made of wood and it's just, it's just a very cool item. I mean, there's a, there's a few other patterns out there. You know, there was a find a few years back where, you know, Gus has the um, uh, sand crawler, pieces of the sand crawler that he posts now and again. That's just an amazing um, thing to have. And Todd Chamberlain's got a part of the B-Wing. Uh, but to have an early piece of an iconic vehicle like that and for a part of the vehicle that it's like is immediately recognizable – is really satisfying. And, uh, you know, that piece came to me, you know, we were talking about in our other conversation recently about going to Cincinnati back in the early days. And, you know, I was out there with some friends and we were buying, we were meeting some people who worked at, there was a former Kenner people. A lot of them had been hired by this other toy company. I think it was called uh, it doesn't matter what it was called, but it was it had various names because it, it was had various owners. But there, there was a one point where they were working for Warner Brothers. They were like a division of Warner Brothers, and they were making toys. And this is back in the day when most things were still sculpted and, and handmade rather than done in the computer. And there was, I want to say, two Kenner sculptors working there at the time, former Kenner sculptors, and maybe another Kenner guy. But they had told their friends that these guys who were interested in Kenner were, were coming by and they would show up like on Saturday or Friday morning or whatever it was when we were out there. And as they were working, like these guys would show up and they sometimes they would bring stuff that like, Oh, I found this in my closet, you know? Um, 
but just, you know, sidebar, like you walk in and like, you'd see these guys who are the former Kenner sculptors. And one of the guys who we later bought a lot of stuff from, right? Like, and he'd be sitting there, gruff guy. Hey, y'all, you worked on these. Do you remember what figures you sculpted? Oh yeah. I might might have done this, might have done that. And this is in the middle of his work day as he's working on like other toys (laughs) at his desk. And it's like, do you still have any of that stuff? And he just kind of laughs and he looks up behind him on his desk and he's got like a table behind him and he's like, see those things up there. And he's got like a row of Dixie cups and he's like, like, yeah, like, okay. And we're just all looking at each other. Like, what's he going to pull out? (laughs) And it's like, pulls down a Dixie cup. It's got like a rubber band with a plastic bag on top, you know, tugs off the rubber band, the plastic bag comes off. It's just like this battered, dusty, you know, Dixie cup and just like scatters the pieces on the desk in front of him. And it's like, the original acetate sculpting for the death squad commander. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just sitting there like, Oh my gosh. And you're just looking up and there's like a row of like 10 other Dixie cups. And he's like, <laughs> Whoa, what else is in those other Dixie cups? Um, he's like, he didn't want to sell them. Not then at anywhere at any rate, but it's just like laughing. He's just like, you guys really like this stuff, huh? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> like can we get to know you better. Wow. Um, but, uh, like, just crazy stuff like that. You know, you talk to some of these guys, you're just like, I could not believe. Um, but anyway, like some of these other, these guys got to know him fairly well after visiting him a few times and a few other old Kenner people would come by this place and uh, sometimes they would bring things. And there was one morning, this guy showed up. I, I should have looked back at notes because now I'm trying to remember who it was. But he had the pattern for that that X-wing pattern. He also had a proto mold, like an aluminum mold, that they that was made using that pattern. Um, and yeah, I just we, I talked to him. Somehow I ended up with it. I made him an offer, you know, and he sold it to me. And he had just saved it all those years, uh, and I've had it ever since. That must have been in the late '90s, probably. Uh, but it's, it's just very you know, detailed it's, and it beautiful. It really is. Yeah. I mean, all the, all the little details and then someone had, had to hand make it and it's just stuff like that to have an artifact like that, um, from that early in the line for an iconic toy is pretty satisfying. And also to have the mold that was made, uh, from it, you know, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, sculpts and stuff from the early period over the years. And, you know, it was a similar feeling owning stuff like that, where it's like, it, it feels like a piece of history almost more so than a, just a mere collectible uh so that that was the piece that's the star wars piece that i picked out i love when uh, our our friends and fellow collectors see it for the first time because it is instantly recognizable and people really do lose their minds when they see it yeah they're like oh that's the like yeah that's the that's the original you know that's the handmade original um and it is funny because you think like all right that's a doodad from off this vehicle but that that X-Wing thing, it's like, so even though it's not something you would think that would be the first thing in your mind when you think about the X-Wing, like when you, if you've collected toys, even if you're not necessarily a big Star Wars collector, but if you're familiar with 70s and 80s toys, it's like, bang, that's the back of the X-Wing. Uh, it's immediately just recognizable about what it is, even though it's like a part, you know. Right. And so the way that that um, the Kenner sculptors would create the figures, they would do it out of clay and then either you know, wax, or they would sculpt out of acetate. Um, they could not do that for the vehicles, correct? I mean, you could, but it'd be, it'd be difficult. Like it's all hard straight lines, right? So maybe, 
bill lemon and acetate would be good for something like that. But generally speaking, the sculpts are more for organic shapes. Like if you want like like a vehicle or a playset that has like really hard mechanical lines, like it's makes more sense to do a wood pattern of it. And so they would make it out of carved pieces of wood. And sometimes there'd be like sort of hand sculpted epoxy pieces on there and whatnot. Um, and then that would be your master that you'd use. And oftentimes it would be in, you know, double the size. Um, but yeah, I mean, it usually uh, you wouldn't do it out of wax unless it was like, I'm um, trying to think of a vehicle like Dagobah is a place that you would sculpt out of wax probably because it's so gnarly. Um, but the droid factory, that was probably patterned because it's all straight lines. Uh, so, and then Kenner had these master guys who would, I mean, I just remember hearing stories about staying up all night. Just think of how much effort went into the Falcon, which still exists, by the way, the Millennium Falcon patterns still out there, which has got one of the great Kenner toy items that's still in existence. It's gorgeous. Um, just the time spent, you know, putting that all together. It's just, I mean, the Kenner, you know, did a ton. And now it'll all be done on the computer, I'm sure. Uh, so it's a whole different era. Absolutely. And, you know, again, it always goes back to craftsmanship, especially with this, the the early designs. But um, seeing a wood pattern in, in person is really incredible because it is, it is so professionally done, so perfect. And, you know, again, with that piece too, I, I'm glad you opened with that one because it's one of my favorite pieces in your collection. Um, I can't believe that my friend owns something like that. Uh, you know, that, whereas you said, I mean, everyone had an X-Wing growing up and, and, seeing it from the back you immediately i think there are elements of these toys that are just forever burned into our brains right no matter how old we get or how far uh, separated we are from playing with them and, and from having them you know on a daily basis um we'll just never forget things like that so yeah. great no, piece it's good that you have that perspective david i mean when you a pattern or a sculpt it's like there's no getting closer to the original origin of something you know that is the hand worked piece that led to everything else so that you can't get down to the root of it really i mean you could get concept things and stuff but that's necessarily divorced from the actual the actual item as it was you know as it was made you know if you want to just hold something that was ended up in a, in a linear progression as a as a uh, production toy like the actual pattern or the sculpt is really as good as it gets it's and the first know, 3d representation yes yeah um and outside of a model maybe but again it, it there isn't a one-to-one -one comparison to like the final form you know in its final production form like that is the closest you're going to get um but yeah i mean not complaining at all or calling anyone out but it's like you know as you know i had you know I, uh, life situations you know forced me to sell a lot of them or to, to part ways with a lot of them, but I had a lot of the original sculpts or, uh, and I still have some, I still have some things, but I had a lot of the original action figure sculpts back in the day and people would visit often. And they, I kind of got the sense they didn't really understand what it was. And I'd just be like, you don't really understand what this is. And so it, it's satisfying when someone realizes like, Oh, that is like the original, like, like yourself, you know, it, it has the same sort of, impact on them as it has on me but because there are people who sometimes maybe they just don't make the mental leap or they don't quite calculate what it is or what they're seeing and it's just kind of they seem not really 
I don't know if impressed is the word or they just, they're more impressed by like the weird colored first shot you have or something, which to me is a much lesser piece. <laughs> but um, I guess it just goes back to how aware you are of, you know, what, uh, what these things are and what they were used for. Um, but yeah, well, anyway, it's it, satisfying to hear you say that you appreciated it in that way. Cause that's the way I appreciate it. And in my experience, it seems like, you know, sometimes collectors need to see something in person and to discuss it with somebody like, like you who owns it, um, where they can learn a little more. And then I think it takes a little while to digest this stuff sometimes too. Um, and I know that when I first saw your collection, there were a lot of pieces, you know, I, I was familiar with a lot of your pieces from looking at them on the archive and reading the entries. Um, but then seeing them in person, it was a completely different experience. And I know that every time I've gone back to your home and I've seen your collection in the years since, I've, I see it with, with fresh eyes. I, I come in, you know, knowing more and having more knowledge about the stuff. Um, but I, I've, I've seen a lot of our friends see pieces and maybe they're not familiar with the process or don't really understand. And then the next time or the next time it's brought up, like in a conversation, they have, they've thought about it. They have a fuller understanding. So that's a nice part of, of collecting as well, too, that, that I've seen um, as a fellow collector. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely people have a progression in their understanding, you know, of some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, all they can do is, you know, share with people what, what fascinates you and what interests you and hope that they have similar feelings. But some people don't. I mean, some people are more interested in other stuff, which is also fine. I think it's also a testament um, to you and to to all of our collector friends that, that do this, where um, – they share the pieces that they have and they share the stories behind them or they, they give, you know, a fuller explanation. Um, I'm sure many people listening to this are not familiar with patterns and maybe didn't know that that's how vehicles were made. Um, I know it was a number of years um, that I was collecting before I knew uh, of what a pattern was or had actually seen one in person. Um, yeah. It's just, well, you know, again, that. really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there's not that many that have survived, you know. It's like the Falcon is out there. I mean, when I say the Falcon, it's not, it doesn't look like the Falcon. All, I mean, it's like, it's all components, you know. So it's like the whole back of it, this part of it, or that part of it. Because um, they did it in pieces, you know. It's how these things are put together. Um, and the sand crawler, those are probably the two biggest ones. Um, but, you know, there's there's pieces here and there that survived. And I, frankly, at this point, I mean, you never say never, but I don't know how much of that stuff is really left out there to to surface i mean i think what's out there is what's out there but the x-wing is probably the earliest one that i'm aware of because that's one of the first that's the 1978 round of vehicles the tie fighter the x-wing and the land speeder and that's the only piece that i'm aware of from those that survived there's a han there's a pistol for han the large size han which is really cool but that would even be a little later um but yeah, it's 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 thrilling to have something like that. And sometimes I forget about how cool it is. I have to go up there and remind myself. <laughs> well, it's nice you don't have to travel far for that. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, so what is your your second piece then from uh, Empire Strikes Back? Um, well, first of all, I have to confess that I realized I screwed up and I wrote down something that's actually Jedi. But it's actually, it's kind of bridges the gap between Empire and Jedi. So we'll stick with this if that's okay. We'll take it. <laughs> um, that's fine. And the problem is I went up and I looked at, I, I figured I'd discuss a micro collection 
wax and i always think of micro as, as empire but it is for the, an unproduced return of the jedi figure so it's technically i guess a jedi item but it is the wax i have of the micro collection emperor's royal guard uh and um it's actually the reason i chose that to talk about was it's actually the first wax sculpt that i acquired as far as i can remember uh and it was probably 97 or 8 that I got that, and it was, you know, Gus Lopez specifically, but I think Chris Dragulius was also involved. Like, they they had been buying um, sculpts, like, from a, a guy, um, a former Kenner guy. Actually, I think he was still at Hasbro at the time. So it was kind of on the down low. And, uh, you know, I had helped Gus with a few things. I think I helped him get a gaff figure. So then he, like this guy always wanted to sell stuff. It's kind of hard to think about now. People are going to think it's crazy, but this guy had a lot of stuff he kept. Right. And, um, he would frequently want to move things to get money. Like he collected his own sort of things and he would need money. And so he would call Gus or Chris looking to sell things. And it's like, it sounds funny. You think, like, oh, just give me all of it. But it's like he would say, I want to sell three pieces. And it was like those guys weren't rich at the, you know, they were young. <laughs> they didn't really have high paying jobs or anything. And it was like, I want to sell a, a few of these pieces. And so they would find people to buy them. So I know Todd Chamberlain and I ended up getting things through this, this guy. Um, but at the time, I think all the figures were pretty well. I think he may have ended up having more three, three quarter inch figures. But he, he wasn't letting that on at the time or he didn't know it himself at the time. So it's basically just micro stuff. And I just remember getting sent this list by either Gus or Chris. And like, hey, I don't know if you want to buy. Here's the list of stuff that's available. <laughs> like going through and being like, you know, it was like $700 or something for a micro <laughs> Which was a lot. At the time, that wasn't like, it was like, okay, I mean, that's a lot. Um <laughs> but it's worth it but it, it wasn't like now it sounds just crazy you know <laughs> it, it wasn't that crazy at the time um and i just remember trying to make up my mind like do i want one that was produced because you have if you have a produced item then it's cool to have the sculpt for an item that was actually sold in the store or was it better to get an unproduced item because then you just have something that nobody else has like what's what's the better thing to have um and there was no photos. I don't think there was any photos. <laughs> it was just like you're picking off a list. Um, and the Emperor's Royal Guard was the one I ended up buying. And I just remember, I still remember it coming in the mail. Uh, and it, and it's kind of a weird story about some of that stuff because I don't know. Are you, were you collecting back in the days of Toy Shop, the, the paper, the collectibles paper with the ads in it? I was collecting as a kid in 1992, um, and then I had stopped because I really couldn't find anything. I wasn't aware of Toy Shop at the time. Right. Well, in Toy Shop, like this was maybe around a year or so before I got that Emperor's Royal Guard. There had been one of the famous, the the best Toy Shop ads of all time. It's like a full page ad of somebody selling. Um, all of these micro collection sculpts, like the original wax sculpts. And I'm sure you can go on Christie's uh, toy shop archive and find it. It's probably in 96, 97. It's probably the time frame. 
and maybe two pages. It was either one whole page or two whole pages. And they had little pictures of, I remember like one of the Dagobah Yodas was in there and some production figures. The Leia Hoth was in there, which I later ended up with. Uh, and these were in toy shop and you could, there was bidding on bidding on them. And I want to say the opening bids were maybe like $1,200, $1,500. And this and, was like mail-in bids and phone bids. Is that correct? I think you had to call. This is, uh, this is off the top of my head, but I think you had to call. You can go look it up and it, whatever it was, it, it, either it was, a, I, th- I don't think it was a straight sale. I want to say they were taking bids, but the high bids were very high. I mean, at that time, $1,500 was a lot. That was like unheard of for most things. And even though these things were the original sculpts and it looked like they were probably real and they were for unproduced figures that no one had ever seen before, I don't think they got a single bid wow. in the whole auction. Right? So Duncan Jenkins, um, I think he called them and he ended up buying a couple of things for lower prices than the, than the opening bids after the auction ended. So he's the one guy I'm aware of who ended up with stuff from that ad. Anyway, that catch of stuff that was in that toy shop ad, that stuff was clearly from the guy that that we were buying from later on or around the same time. So this guy had gone to some third party and had them place the stuff in auction and toy shop and they didn't get any bids. So the prices he was selling it to us directly as were, were, you know, half that price or whatever it was that he didn't, you know, that the toy shop person was trying to get, but there was a link between that Hasbro guy and the toy shop ad. And then later on we met the, one of the intermediaries. I, I don't know if people listening to this are aware, but on one of the old Hive cast episodes, I told a story about this guy's antique mall where he had this stuff, which clearly came from this kind of guy. And it clearly he had been one of the go-betweens with the toy shop person because he had some of that stuff from the toy shop ad, you know, and I called him scaly in the story and told the whole story about how he broke a hard copy right in front of our faces. <laughs> but, um, so there was this whole behind the scenes thing going on where they're trying to move stuff through this guy's antique mall and also through toy shop. Right? But we were also buying directly from this guy through the mail. Uh, um, so you've you've owned some really incredible wax sculpts over the years, uh, as you mentioned, and um, and so for you to have uh, this one now, which was the emperor, the unproduced emperor's royal guard. When was the first time that you became aware that the original sculpts existed? Um, probably that toy shop ad. That's the first time I thought of something like that, where I was like, oh man, these are the these are original sculpts for these micro figures, you know, but I was, I was stupid as I didn't have the money at that time to spend that much. But I just remember looking at it and being, that's crazy. Uh, but I don't know anybody other than Duncan who got stuff cheaper, who really pursued it. Um, but that's probably the first time I became aware of that. And then getting to know Gus and Chris, I know that they had acquired several things, including three, three quarter inch figures. And I, I know Todd got a couple of things through that source. Um, and then it was like, oh, well, to me, that was the only way to get them was through this guy at that point. Like I wasn't aware of any other sources at that time. But it, immediately it was like, well, there's nothing better than this from a prototype perspective. Like if you're going to have the original sculpt of something, I mean, that's pretty awesome. 
but yeah, getting the Emperor's Royal Guard and it was certainly like pulling it out. Every time I look at it, I think of that. Like, like that was the first thing I got like that. Um, and it's a big piece of wax. You know, it was for the in 1983. Kenner had plans to release a, a throne room micro set, and it would have had two Emperor's Royal Guards, um, two Emperors, a Luke, and a Vader, and there was also an Imperial Commander, and all of those sculpts. I think all exist. I own the Luke, the sculpt for the Luke as well, which I got later. Uh, but um, yeah, that that certainly is a piece that has some history and is also just kind of funny because it ties in with that toy shop ad and like that that was like the first time sculpts being offered to the public was a, a thing. And so the production figures were one inch in height uh, or a little over an inch when they came out. Um, What's the size of the sculpt? It's four times, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's probably like five to six inches tall. And probably more if you count the staff, because it's got like the, the staff he's holding. Um, so it's like a little statuette that's, you know, six inches tall. And the the micro figures as made in metal, like they scaled them down in production. So they would have been tiny, but there's never been any of those death star pieces. I don't think they ever got to the point where they, they, I know they never got to the point where they made one-to-one, you know, figures off those. So the sculpt is basically the only game in town. I've never even seen a hard copy of that particular one either. It's an incredible piece. And as somebody who loved the micro collection growing up, I really wish we had gotten a number of the Return of the Jedi play sets um, because I think there was so much there in the, in the movie. Um, they were so kind of rich for exploration um, in the film itself. It would have been nice to, to be able to add that to the collection that we already had of, you know, the Death Star play set, the Hoth and the Bespin play sets as well too. Um, but uh, I'm I'm glad that you were able to to find that. It sounds like you know you, you saw it for the first time in Toy Shop magazine, and then a year later you were able to procure one. So yeah, I'm not sure if you have to go check the ad. I'm not even sure if that one's in Toy Shop magazine, but stuff from this source was definitely in there. But yeah, um, but yeah, if you listen to this, definitely go search out Chris G's Toy Shop archive. It's it's in there. Um, it's definitely worth looking at. That's just one of the interesting ads from that period. And that truly is a wonderful Empire Strikes Back related piece. <laughs> well, yeah, the Empire Strikes Back line. And I'm sure, well, I'm sure that was sculpted in 1982. So there you go. Um, okay. So what would be our second Return of the Jedi piece? Um, I just picked kind of randomly on this one is like, I don't know if you've noticed on top of one of my cases, I have that handmade. It's like a foam core return of the Jedi sign. That's dimensional and has like um, mirror tape. It's got like the, the, it's got like a metallic finish. Yes. It's a return of the Jedi logo. Um, yeah. That's kind of a, an interesting piece that I think people kind of in my collecting space kind of walk by and don't even necessarily recognize, but that, um, that I brought from the late, great John Kellerman. I actually, I bought at the time it was a lot of money for me. I bought like seven or eight things from him when he sold his store display collection, all of which, well, some of them I've upgraded, maybe one or two, but all of which I pretty much still have. Um, and, uh, 
it's a cool piece. It's, it, it was a Toy Fair sign. And the story from that is that came from a man named High Catline who lived in Rockland County, New York. And he was the, he managed the New York City showroom for Kenner for, for a number of years uh, and, you know, did a lot with Toy Fair. And so those signs came from Toy Fair. And, you know, High saved a lot of the stuff related to Toy Fair signage and whatnot and had it in his basement down there. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I, I missed the initial wave. I don't know if you ever heard the High Catline story, but um, briefly, he, he was a former Kenner guy, and at some point he had a bunch of, I want to say it was Power of the Forest maps, you know, the maps that came packaged with the vehicles. Yes, the planetary ones. Yeah, he had them unused, and he advertised a toy shop. Again, coming back to toy shop, saying, you know, maps for whatever it was, like 30 bucks a set. And a couple of smart people realized, like, well, this is odd that he would have, like, quantity of these. Like, who is this guy? So called him and it turns out he's this guy who used to work for Kenner and he actually had a bunch of stuff. And so some of the guys who I think got in touch with him, he may have also been selling coins. I can't remember, but he may have also had some kind of classified with coins. But anyway, it was like Gus Lopez and Chris Dragulius and Mark Salati. I want to say Will Grief, maybe Rob Johnson. All those guys had gotten in with him earlier like, like, and, and anyway, the long story short, he had all this stuff in his basement and they realized that he was this former Kenner guy. And he did like a private auction among these guys of a lot of this stuff. And Kellerman may have been one of the, I think Kellerman was in on it too. That's how he ended up with this sign. Um, and you know, he had like a couple, a couple of Empire Strikes Back dolls, like, you know, maybe the Luke Bespin. Um, but the, some of the things he had were, were signs, like Toy Fair signs, like things that were made by hand for Toy Fair, and he had saved them. So it was kind of like last chance to get stuff like that, you know. Um, and I had actually ended up – I didn't get in on that early auction, but then Chris Dragulius put me on to him later on because he realized that I lived by high. He's like, hey, this guy – might still have stuff and he lives right by you so it's like i drove out there i met him we came like pretty good friends and he still had a bunch of production carded figures and he had some pre-production stuff too that i ended up helping him helping him with but at the time i was going to college in white plains and i would on my way driving home like twice a week i would stop by high's house <laughs> and his wife would make us cookies and like diet cokes and we'd go into his basement and i'd help him catalog his collection for like an hour or two hours because he didn't know what he had. And I'd be like, okay, this is this. And we'd label it all and put it in like comic board, put it with like a comic bag on it and a board or whatever. And he had like hundreds of carded figures. Actually a lot of my carded figures I got from him back in the day. Like I bought like tons of them from him. I got like a lot of production stuff from him. Um, And so I became pretty, pretty good friends with him and helped him to sell the rest of his stuff as well as I bought a lot of stuff from him myself. So it's a kind of a funny story. And he's still around. He's in California now. I have a good picture of him, me, Chris, and maybe Will Grief that we took at one of the celebrations out in California. But um, it's just kind of one of these funny things. He used to always, you know, I can remember all the stories to tell about he about his son and all this. And um, 
and he'd get frustrated about doing he was like an old sales guy so he would like expect collectors to treat him with like some kind of like wholesale buyer would have treated him back in the day and <laughs> i'd be like hi this guy is, this guy is just some jamoke he's like some kid who's collecting he's like i thought this guy wanted to do business it was just like, <laughs> like i like collectors flake all the time he's like oh, he sounded like he wanted to do business like oh, it's just like wow, he just flaked on you, dude. He's not going to come back. Um, but he ended up selling a lot of his stuff like that he still had to other people. Um, but anyway, back to the story. Like, but John Kellerman when he sold his display collection in two thousand three or whatever it was, like I that was on my list of stuff I bought from him. So I think I, I probably spent like at the time it was probably twelve hundred dollars, which was a lot of money back then. But it's like seems cheap now it's like handmade i think hi had two of those john got one and i think gus got the other so i think gus also has has one of those were they similar in design or were they unique same design it's like i'm sure the same crew made them in the same format and it's it's like it's like built up from lightweight foam core materials with like and i want to say the return of the jedi logo is maybe silk screened in the middle and then it's got like the the border is raised and it's got like reflective silver tape applied to it to make it look metallic and it's probably like two and a half feet long very cool it's just like it's a very cool one especially i like store displays and stuff and it's not a store display but it is a display um and it's fun because i have that connection back to high on it which you know is it makes me happy when i look at it it sounds like your connection with High uh, is is a very personal one, and at the same time, as you were going through his collection, it was a very educational one because you were, in order to figure out what he had, you had to you had to really understand what you were looking at, or you had to learn about it as you went on. Oh yeah, I mean, I would say I was becoming a little expert by that point, so I kind of I was still young, you know, I was like, man, I don't know, twenty two, I mean, twenty one, and you know, uh, I was kind of getting to the point where I knew, I, I think I started working on with Gus and stuff on the archive around a little bit before then, but it was, you know, those, those are the days, man. I remember meeting Todd Chamberlain for the first time, I think at high Catline's place. Like he had just moved out East and he drove all the way out and we met there. I met Rob Johnson for the first time there. I think I met Will Grief for the first time at high's house. And we went out to lunch at, at the diner over there in Rockland County that was by highest place. Every time I pass by exit 10 on the Palisades Parkway, I think of him because that's where he was. I, I would go there a lot. I was like dozens of times I went to his house. But I remember one time Will Grief and I were there and we were just like looking through. He had just had like a box of loose figures. And he's like, oh, those are just loose figures. But it's like, okay, you never know. <laughs> Most of these are saved from Toy Fair, you know. Um, nowadays, people would inspect them minutely to see if they had any. But we didn't do that. It was like, wasn't that level of you know, inspection. But I just do remember like going through there and Will pulled out of there like a proto-molded Luke Jedi <laughs> with like oh a, a yellow lightsaber that was painted blue. Oh, wow. And I don't know if he still has that. I just remember being like happy to find it, but also like, man, if I had been two seconds earlier, like Will ended up with it. I got no, but I did get something on the same day. Will found that Luke Jedi and I found, um, um, a removable limb C-3PO that is basically like a handmade model. It's probably the concept model for that figure. So it's a regular C-3PO that someone in the model shop probably doctored up 
and took the legs off and fitted out with like sockets so they could take them on and put them, you know, take them off and put them back on. And it's got a removable head. So it's well, kind of like, obviously that um, feature was canceled because you know, probably because of the choking hazard. Um, but so I, I did get something pretty awesome. I still have that too. It's got the 77 dates on it and it's like all handmade removable limbs c3po so high and i pulled those out of that i mean we made we worked with high on the prices on them you know i mean the prices at that time probably would have been a couple hundred dollars or something for something like that which was pretty fair but you know it's like a protomotor luke jedi i think the value of that's insane 3po2 with the luke jedi protomotor is a pretty awesome piece um but yeah so we found a couple of pre-production things um, and he had just like his garage. He had like, you know, the Blythe doll. I've, I've always wanted a packaged Blythe from Kenner. Like he had like four or five of those things just stacked up mint in box. Um, I should have bought one then wow. at the time. He had a whole, whole wall, probably like 10 return of the Jedi foil display headers in the shipper just stuffed oh against gosh. his wall. Yeah. And he had like, handmade Beetlejuice things from the toy fair showroom, just like just stuff. You now, back then it seemed like, Oh, this is neat, but it was like big deal Beetlejuice. But now I'd be like, Holy cow, this is awesome. Um, we bought like tons of catalogs from him. I bought, I still have these too, like the actual tapes, the big size cartridge tapes that they ran commercials on in the New York showroom. So it's like, I have like the original cartridge that has the early bird commercial on it that they would have stuck in the player and played commercials for potential buyers. Um, so I have a few of those that we got from them. But anyway, so I missed the, the big prototype sale, but I, I ended up having a pretty good experience with high regardless. And I still have, I don't think I, I still have like all those carded figures. Like I would, I would, I'd go down there and I'd spend like all this time helping him. Like, Hey, this is this condition. You have to be careful of this. This is a cloud car pilot on this card. And, and then, and he'd make a notes and everything. And then I'd be like, okay. And I'd set aside the things I wanted to buy. And his wife would come down and give him a hard time. If he wasn't giving me a good deal, <laughs> he just helped you with all this stuff. Give him a deal. And he'd be like, Oh, and one time he felt guilty and he mailed me one of the figures that we couldn't come to terms on. He mailed it to me <laughs> with a oh, note. Wow. <laughs> Um, it was pretty funny. I think it was a cloud car pilot. I just remember, like, I wanted it for 50 or something. He wanted 70 or something. I was like, no, <laughs> 70 for that one. Uh, so, yeah, it was good. And I was just, I just remember every time I think of high, I always think about just driving to his house. Like, I was a kid and he used to make, I, used to, I was like an indie rock kid. I, I dressed kind of like punk rock, indie rock or something. Not like radically, but just a little bit. And he used to remember, I remember him teasing me about this or that, like the jacket I had on or whatever, because he was kind of like a straight and narrow New York Jewish guy who spent his life in the, the toy industry. And, you know, he would always complain about his son, what his son was up to. Well, he not, not complain about his son, but he had like, his son was going through like career adjustments, you know, telling me about like how his son was my age and he was, he wanted them to be a doctor and this and that. And he wanted to always know what I was doing with my life. And I was like, star Wars, <laughs> like, Star Wars toys. that's what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I just had a really sweet guy. It's had a lot of fun memories of spending afternoons with him and his collection. I'm glad it was such a personal and special relationship that you had as well too. Um, 
And it's interesting too, uh, we didn't plan this, but um, you managed to cover the Empire Strikes Back portion with the removable limbs uh, C-3PO story. Oh, so yeah, that there worked you out. Go. Definitely an Empire era piece. Um, to go, go back to your Return of the Jedi uh, sign for a second, I, I know we did a, um, a panel last year at the annual where we talked about the um, the only carded rocket firing Boba Fett from the uh, from Toy Fair and um, and the, the provenance and and you know how how you were also able to you played a part in authenticating it um, by matching it to photos from Toy Fair. Um, have yeah. you been able to find any photos from Toy Fair for this particular Return of the Jedi sign? Um. I think so. I'd have to go back and look at my Toy Fair pictures. I did find like there was other signs too that I had that that went in that private auction. I think there was Micro, maybe Empire and Jedi that were all they weren't dimensional, but they were flat, but put together with like cut out elements and pasted up. Um I don't know if there was a Power of the Force one or not, but there were several different logos and I and I know maybe Rob Johnson may have got one or two, and Chris Draguius may have got one or two. But those are I, I've definitely seen in Toy Fair pictures. The bigger dimensional Jedi signs, I think so, but I'd have to go back and, and reconfirm my memory. I know I've seen the smaller ones in Toy Fair pictures. But, I mean, they won't pretty much – that's one where I really don't have any doubt that they came from – they either came from Toy Fair or the showroom that like, wasn't used for Toy Fair, but it was just in the showroom at some other time because that's what High was. That's where he got all that stuff, right? So um, they came out of that New York showroom space or Toy Fair. So. Oh yeah, there's no doubt as, as to the authenticity of, of the item. Um, but I know that you know one of the things that that you and um, our our circle of collectors do is we like to to match stuff when we can, and that's been a really interesting thing because you know it's not like you know, today, now, if there's a, an event, people bring their phones and they take pictures. But at the time, you know, in, in the 70s, late 70s and early 80s, um, very few photos were taken. And the ones that, yeah. that were, were not uploaded to any specific, you know, internet or intranet. They were just on, 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 um, on paper. So the ones that survive are really great. And I know that you and a number of our other friends were able to get some of these Toy Fair um, and showroom photos. So, um, it's always nice yeah. when you can match them too. It makes it really exciting. No, it's true. But I mean, with Toy Fair stuff, the reason I make, make the question, it's not about authenticity so much, but just about how it was used. Just cause I hear people all the time, like, Oh, this is from Toy Fair. It's like, okay, well, is it really? I mean, you got it from some random source that has no connection to Toy Fair. It could have been from any number of things. Um, but with high, it's like, that's what he did. Like he was at, and most of the stuff he had was Toy Fair stuff. And like, and, you know, I know Chris Dragulius got the throne for the emperor. It's like the handmade throne. And that came from high. And you can find, if you go to 1984, I think it's 84 Toy Fair, you'll see that throne in the display, the action figure display. So I, I got that right off the display. Um, and that's the throne for the micro collection emperor or the three and three quarter inch? inch. Not, it was never, it wasn't a toy it wasn't ever like presented as a toy. It was just part of a display. Like they made some kind of impressive display for the, the toy fair showroom with all the figures. And the, some guy at Kenner built a little throne to put the emperor in cause it looked cool. Um, and Chris, I think he still has it, but he got that from high. 
Um, but stuff like that, like that, all that stuff, like I'm sure that Luke Jedi proto molded figure was probably a toy fair model that he ended up grabbing at some point, either that, or it was used in the showroom in some other capacity that he ended up with it. And that really might've been the earliest displayed Luke Jedi. Maybe. I mean, it's possible. I mean, the one from toy fair. Yeah. I mean, it's just a really cool piece. Yeah cool stuff man i mean it's like you know it, it just kills me now just like i mentioned he had a bunch of other stuff from other lines that he'd saved that at the time like i hardly even paid attention to it so well, it's not star wars like, who cares you know it's like but it's like yeah i do remember he had like beetlejuice like like not props but i guess they were toy fair like props made for the toy fair showroom that someone had handmade you know like things that were hanging there um to juice up the the, the display somehow and he had had these things sitting around in his basement he was a real pack rat he saved a bunch of stuff <laughs> like we all do right yeah he definitely had an eye i mean certain people don't save anything and other people they save a ton and their wives complain about them until years later they sell it for thousands of dollars because nobody else saved that stuff so all right those were uh some really incredible stories so far can you round us out with a power of the force piece sure it's actually a Star Wars piece. I'm kidding. It's actually a, a power of the force. <laughs> um, so uh, I have, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's that Imperial Sniper. I have the original artwork for the for the blister card for the Imperial Sniper body rig, which shows Emperor, I mean, the uh, Imperial Gunner like driving the body rig and he's holding R5-D4 in like the claw of that thing. Uh, and so it's the original art for that backer card. It's actually one of the cooler original art pieces I have because it's actual, I mean, there's not that many actual paintings that were used setting aside the blister cards, the photo art, but actual paintings used for toy packaging. There's the a wing is out there. Um, the skiff is the skiff painting out there. Maybe. Maybe is there an all there's definitely an alternate Steve Denny had the alternate, battle wagon that ended up getting sold um well it's part, part of the problem is that they didn't really use art until power of the forest right so that's part of the reason why there's not that many pieces but those body rigs there's like three body rigs and they all um survived you know tom nyheisel ended up saving those uh and my favorite was always that imperial sniper so i was happy to, to end up with that um but i i'm sure you're familiar with it you know tom nyheisel had all that stuff and he moved after he retired, he moved to sell it, you know, and he did a lot of it through Tom Derby and Cloud City Collectibles. And Tom, if you see pictures of Tom's setup in some of those early celebrations, it was all a lot of it was Tom Nahezel's stuff that, that Tom Derby was selling for him. And he would just have these stacks of like photo art. And again, people weren't buying it. They're were, they were pricey, um, but it wasn't like there was a stampede to buy it. So this stuff hung around for quite a while. It's funny to think about now. It's crazy to think about it too. That uh, you know, I think um, we've spoken about this before, but the premier auction that happened in premier collectibles auction, I think it was, that happened in yep. two thousand and eight. Um, a lot, I think, almost all of the uh, droids and Ewoks and unproduced droids and Ewoks of photo art um, sold there, and and yeah, well, sold after the auction. Yeah, and that's actually the story I'm building up to. Um, is that that stuff hung around. And then when they did the, the CIB, um, 
I guess what, what what was it called? Premier Collectibles. Oh, I can't remember the name, but it was. Um, you mentioned the name. It's Premier Second. Collectibles Auctions. Premier Collectibles Collectibles Auctions. Okay, so it was Tom Derby and Brian Semling got together to run this sort of like high end auction in conjunction with San Diego Comic Con, and this must have been two thousand six or seven. And uh, it was two thousand and eight. That was eight. It was that late, really? Okay, 2008. Okay. And then the idea was to do it officially in conjunction, I think, with the, the convention. But then they had trouble getting that to work. So it was actually down the street. But that was the main reason I had for going. And I actually have videos. I should repost the videos. I have a whole thing I took when I went to Comic-Con, a whole video I cut together. <laughs> but um, even then, it was like this – the catalog is amazing. Like if you can get the catalog, look through it. It's just like filled with amazing stuff. Even then, like I'm not even lying, David. Like the morning of the auction, it's starting and the only people there are Chris Tregulius and myself. <laughs> well, it wasn't – so it, just to clarify, it was not connected to Comic-Con. And they had tried to get it into Comic-Con, but it didn't work for some reason. That's and so they had to move it down the street. Yep. yep. But, I mean, there may have been one or two other people, but there's, like, nobody there. So Chris and I got up early. We went there, and we didn't bid on anything, really. We were just sitting there watching. And prices were high, right? I do remember Gus coming out swinging pretty big. He won the A-Wing art because all of Nyheisel stuff was in there. And I think the 12 the, – the, the vehicles from the back of the 12-back, the reverse of the 12-back. He, he might have split them with something, somebody else. But I remember him – those are the two items I remember getting furiously bid on at, at the higher levels. At the time, the prices seemed really high, right? Uh, but yeah, so we watched the whole auction, and most of that stuff did not go. And then afterwards, that yeah, you're right. We all got with Tom, and it was like, hey, is Tom Nihazel willing to – I mean, this stuff is – you've had this stuff for years, and it hasn't gone anywhere. And you just did the auction, and it also didn't get many bids. Like, I mean, do you willing to cut a deals on some of these things? And so, yeah, I, mean, I kick myself now. I probably should have bought more. But really, I wasn't that interested in droids and Ewoks at the time. Um, so a lot of those guys bought, like, unproduced the art for, like, Admiral Screed and all this stuff, the original card art. And I want to say prices were, like, I don't know five or six thousand or something which is that was a lot of money back then um, i have the catalog here so for the droids artwork um the starting bid was um i want to say around 3750 for the droids figures um and then for some of the unproduced ones they were sort of in the range of 7500 to 8500 i want to say like the unproduced ones like they may have sold for like five or fifty five and less probably for the produced ones. Like it was a decent discount on whatever the low bid was. Anyway, I, I focused on that that body rig because I'd, I'd rather have an original trilogy piece. Although I probably should. I mean, for me, that I, I think it was three thousand that I spent on that, and that was probably the most I'd ever spent on something at that time. So it was a significant purchase. Um, seems like a great deal now. <laughs> completely yeah but um i I should have in hindsight it's another example where it's like damn i should have gotten whatever money i could get together and just bought a couple of these other things as well but 
I didn't, you know, and, and really even the prices at the auction were fine, but it's like, it, it had been several years of trying to move that stuff and people just weren't interested. So it's like, it's hard to blame either Tom for, okay, let me sell some of these and get some of the money out of them. And it's just, just like Steve Denny selling those proof cards for cheap at celebration too. It's like, how do you anticipate the, the value in just five, five years later, it would be that much more, you know, it's just very hard to, to know that. Um, so yeah, we bought some things and I do remember, I won't name names cause I don't know if they want it private, but I do remember collectors that are trying to scrape up money to buy like some of those unproduced droids and Ewoks card backs. They were making phone calls and trying to sell things on the phone that like, Hey, you're just getting friends to PayPal. Them, you know, <laughs> um, so it was like a whole, whole thing. Like people trying to scramble together the money to try to buy these things. But, uh, yeah, I, I got that body rig art and I love it. It's just like, it's a great, every time I look at it, I'm like, man, that is just a really cool piece. And uh, I do wish I'd bought a droids piece, but I did not. That's what I ended up getting. And I don't particularly regret it too much. Well, and, and the piece is really cool too, because for some reason it has R5D4 in it, um, which I don't, yeah. I don't recall him being in Return of the Jedi even or anything, but, uh, but it's just, it, yeah. it's a nice, it's a nice way to connect the original trilogy with the power of the force. Yeah, that's one of the fun aspects of it is that R5-D4 element. And then it's got little Ewoks. You can hardly see them on the actual card back, but if you on the you can see them on the art. There's like way down on below, there's little Ewoks like shaking their spears at the at the sniper up in the air. Um, just really cool. The whole perspective of it is really cool. It's got a really dynamic composition, so I'm really happy to own that. I'm glad you do. And I, I've seen it in person. And again, again, it's just, you know, it's another incredible piece. Those body rigs, I think they were released toward the end of the very end of the Power of the Force line. And for a long time, I mean, they they really didn't get a lot of attention. Um, but in the past, uh, maybe decade, uh, they've gone up in value, and they've become much more desirable as collectors try to complete their Power of the Force runs. Yeah, they're really cool pieces. I mean, it's a shame that the bubble is always yellow because they do have just some of the greatest card art in the line. Um, uh, so, but yeah, they're and they're neat little designs too. I like them more than the regular mini rigs. I just think they're cooler in general. But I'm glad that they've gotten more collector love for sure. Absolutely, and I I think the card art is a big part of that too. It makes it more fun. Um. Yes. Hundred percent. So was there something new that you learned about Star Wars memorabilia this year that you didn't know previously? Oh, probably, probably not something I can think of off the top of my head. Um, Something new I learned about Star Wars memorabilia. I learned that the Lego Bespin freeze chamber set is worth like a bazillion dollars. It's ridiculous. Explaining to me, it's the Cloud City one, right? Is it oh Cloud City? Sorry, not Best Been Free. Whatever it is, I don't even know what it looks like. He just told me like what it sold for, and I just couldn't couldn't even calculate. Like we were all buying the wrong things, David. We should have been buying Lego sets years ago. Um, because yeah, I was just like, whoa, that much? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's something that definitely I learned this year. <laughs> 
And it makes sense, though, too, because Lego has not really dipped in popularity at all. Um, it's only become more popular and and it's a great way for, you know, families to connect with their children. You know, where um, really anyone of, of any generation can can appreciate uh, Lego and can sit and do one. So uh, but yeah, yeah. The, that was, I think, one of the earliest ones. And it might have even been more of a limited production but yeah i had a friend who was chasing that and i think even just the boba fett minifig is worth a lot of money yeah and also i guess it's the first lego set to have a minifigure that's had a skin color other than yellow i guess the lando is you know accurate lando color um maybe i'm wrong on that but that that's my memory someone told me that that's like the first lego of an african-american with like darker skin which i guess gives that an extra an extra bit of interest somehow. Well, absolutely. And also, you know, it, it's, it's part of the history of Lego too. Right. So, um, yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, I, I never expected Lego to be as beloved as it is. And I'm glad to see it though, because, um, you know, again, it, it's just something that anybody of any generation can do and enjoy. Definitely the best toy company. It's also, it's still a private company. It's not even public, you know, it's like, but Lego is, I mean, that's got to be the best toy company from a brand perspective, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to think about. Is there a, a question or a mystery related to Kenner history that you'd like to see answered definitively, potentially this year? Oh, man. Yeah, I'm mostly interested in these weird things, maybe like... Um, talk to Ben Sheehan about this a little bit, you know, here and there. And it's just the, the distribution of the, um, the six packs and the Darth Vader cases that came with action figures. You know, I, I kind of have a sense of what happened there, but it's just kind of, there's a little bit of a mystery that I've kind of been working on over the last few years about, you know, what program at Kenner those were a part of and what stores ended up carrying them. Um, so I wouldn't mind getting a little bit more clarity on, on that just because it's a person, an area of interest to me personally. Um, you know, so that's one thing that, uh, I've spent some time on, um, that I'm interested in, but you know, other things like, I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, there's weird mysteries involved with like, you know, Blue Snaggletooth to me is still like a weird mystery or not even a Blue Snaggletooth, like how they managed to get the figures so wrong because the kind of the story doesn't make any sense. And so I'm sure there's more to the story, but we don't really know what it is. And I'll probably never find out on how that error happened um, and why it was forced to be changed. I mean, because if you think about it, Kenner did those aliens for the cantina and none of them are accurate at all, right? So none of them are movie accurate. It's um, true. And so why was Snaggletooth a problem? I know my assumption is that it's because he's in the holiday special. And do you see him like full, full body in the holiday special? I don't remember, but. I think the, the one that you see is the one that they based the red Snaggletooth on. Yeah, but I think that's even not accurate. So I don't know, I, but the, why they, why Lucasfilm forced Kenner to even bother to change that figure specifically when it was just available in a limited way is, is pretty interesting. Um, 
and why they just didn't stick with the blue one because there's no no one really to match it up with in in the movie to say this is wrong and it's like like i said greedo isn't film accurate at all either <laughs> so why was Snagglepuss? <laughs> people always say well because he's wrong it's like oh, all the figures are wrong though why that one specifically so i don't know if it's just because the outfit of that one is just so outrageous that someone at lucasfilm was like this looks stupid change it maybe that's what it was because well it's just and it's the size blue. too i mean the scale of the figure is completely wrong to what though you don't see him in the movie so it's like he's what the scale is wrong compared to what the holiday special specifically i mean yeah maybe, maybe. yeah it doesn't really make sense to me like so to me there's probably more to that story that's just always been one of those nagging issues with me like i know the i know what everyone says they're like oh the scale is wrong but it's like okay i mean all these figures are wrong you don't see them in the movie anyway so what difference does it make um so that's always been something that's been interesting to me and also the um and I keep meaning to I keep meaning I'm gonna do a blog post about Luke Jedi and I've been putting it off for years, but I have to put it together. Just like the whole Luke and Robes thing, that whole thing still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um and and if you think about it, I think you'll agree that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um for Kenner to go through the trouble of sculpting that figure. I mean, did they do it completely blind? as though like no reference did to me, that's crazy. Like I can't imagine them just sculpting that on a whim and think not without Lucasfilm reference or did, is there somewhere out there? Is there a reference photo of Luke in Jedi robes that doesn't align with what was eventually used in the movie? Like what was that figure based on? Like what, what were they sculpting that off of? I mean, was it, did they have a picture of like the Anakin outfit and they mistook that for Luke and they sculpted it thinking that was going to be the Luke costume? Like how did that error happen? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Like there's more to the story there that has not been uncovered. And if you're someone who's listening and you're like, oh, you should email such and such former employee about that. It's like, yeah, that's not the, the, their memories. <laughs> Unless you find someone who's got like a super pin memory who actually worked on it and remembers it, they're not going to remember. So that's not going to answer the question. Like, right. You're looking for actual be, paperwork or reference yeah. material. There needs to be some, and I've talked to Kenner people about it and they're just like, Oh yeah, that's the original Luke, but they don't really remember like why it was sculpted that way. Like, and I did some investigation into it and I did find an early version of the return of the Jedi screenplay where Luke is mentioned wearing an outfit similar to Obi-Wan Kenobi, which would be like robes. So it's like, okay, I can see where that was like the original idea, but how did Kenner sculpt it? Like, are you telling me they sculpted that figure just blind without a reference photo or was, so there's some kind of, Somewhere out there, at some point in time, someone's going to turn up some kind of kind of reference photo or something, and it's going to be like, oh, that's what that figure's based on. Like, it was this image that came from Lucasfilm. Because as it is, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And that put them back on their heels in terms of production on that figure, because they had to scrap it and start start from scratch with the new design. Um, so that's another little mystery and i keep waiting for some somebody's going to come up with some weird photo or something or something from a kenner source be like oh here's a image of a costume design it's like oh that's where it came from they were going off that because so far i've not seen that i've just seen the figure and there's a kenner blueprint that the turnaround basically that was again someone at kenner drew 
but I have not seen the Lucasfilm original that that came out of. Uh, right. So and that's, that's been one of the biggest mysteries um, because it was, it was so confusing to collectors that for a long time, many of us believed that that figure was made for some, some point after return of the Jedi, you know, the events right. of after like after um, he would have essentially come back from Endor um, and then would be this, this future Jedi. Yeah. And I think that's just, you find stuff like Gargan or the Luke and robes and you automatic, your automatic assumption is that, Oh, this was for like a wave that was never released, but really there's no post power of the force figures that are known to have been developed to any extent. Like Gargan was a first or second wave Jedi figure that was canceled and Luke Jedi, the, the Luke and robes was a first wave Jedi figure that was revised. So those, those are earlier Jedi figures, not later. And yeah, but for years, you're right. That was a major debate. And I always remember being somewhat dissatisfied with the, Oh, this is a post return of the Jedi Luke. Cause that's just, how does that fit? Like, as far as we know, the power of the force line was not successful really. And I, I don't think there was really any development. I mean, there was conceptual stuff that people are aware of that was just very rough that they never really did sculpts and stuff for. It's like, so how would they sculpt a whole Luke for some, like, why would that be the one piece out there? And they went through the whole process and made hard copies. I'm like, that's pretty odd. It doesn't fit the timeline. So, I mean, I thought maybe at the time that maybe it was like a mail away, like maybe it would be like a late Jedi, early power of the force mail away that was never put into action where it's like, oh, you can mail away and get this figure, this speculative figure of Luke as a Jedi, right? Maybe that's what it was. Like it was part of some promotion that was canceled. Um, but the final thing that, I mean, the first thing that really indicated that it was a Jedi, early Jedi figure was when the turnaround turned up and it, it says Revenge of the Jedi on there. So it's like, well, this had to be 82 because that title was changed. And then I think it was Chris Fawcett uh, years later finally found a picture of it in a French catalog where you can see it and it's being used as the in the place of Luke Jedi. Uh, and that kind of sealed the deal of what that is. But it's still there's still a mystery to it because it's just I don't understand. Kenner just does like, you don't sit down and sculpt a figure just based on nothing and just like oh, I think this is what Luke is going to look like and I'm going to make him look like a Jedi and go through all that trouble and make hard copies of it. And it shows up in a catalog based on a whim. Like it had to be based on some reference. So it's like, what was it? Right. Because it's not even a clay rough or, or just some idea that somebody was pursuing tangentially. Like it was, it was a very detailed, very stylized, very specific example of the main character of the story in in a particular costume that Lucasfilm likely did not approve. Right. My guess if i had to guess is that like i said i did find an early screenplay that mentions him luke's outfit would be like obi-wan kenobi's which means like flowing robes type of thing um which was obviously i think canceled and when they gave him the black outfit so my guess is that somewhere there was something that went to kenner from lucasfilm like hey this is the what the figure is going to look like and maybe the one of the initial ideas was that they'd make luke the early Malaway rather than Akbar or something like that. And maybe that's why they did it really early and they had that thing going to go. And then it was like, Oh, we're changing. And then the whole thing got ditched and they went with different Malaway or maybe something like that happened. Um, but the, the Lucasfilm source of that 
that whole outfit I would like to see, you know, because I, I mean, I, everybody's probably seen the pictures of Hamill dressed up as in the black outfit, you know, that would, I mean, you can, I'm sure you can see those in like the, in some of the books of behind the scenes things that they probably took those photos to send out to licensees of what he would look like, you know? And so how does Kenner get it that wrong and put him in a completely different outfit? Does it make sense? It's the whole, the whole, there's a piece to that story that's missing that we haven't really um, been clued in on yet. Um, I do have, and this, this is part of the reason I want to do that blog post. I mean, I do have like timelines, like developmental timelines for like all of the original 65 back figures and it shows like where Kenner was in development on each of those figures. And a Luke Jedi at one point in like 82 somewhere is like, there's like, it's going along and various, it's like sculpt, hard copy, blah, 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 and with dates. And then there's just like a note on it that says like, it's crossed out and it says completely up in the air. So at some point Kenner was notified, Hey, this is wrong. And they had to ditch all the work they did on Luke Jedi and start from scratch with a new Luke Jedi. Um, and uh, I, mean, I think that's part of the reason. And like, then Bill Lemon sculpted one in the black outfit. Um, and then that was ditched and they did one presumably in wax. But there's several different heads out there. Like, I think you may have seen, I posted my um, Luke and Robes figure that has like a wax head on yes. Best Pen Prime recently. And that the head's kind of just paired with that, that, that those pieces probably weren't originally together. But the head is a sculpt, and there's just a bunch of different Luke Jedi sculpts out there. And if you go through the early photos of the figure, you'll see that they kept changing the head. So that that figure, after they were way behind having to ditch the robes figure, they went through this whole process of trying to get that thing done and had multiple sculptors working on it, did multiple different heads to try to get it to look right. Um, so there's a whole interesting story there on the timeline for Luke Jedi. Um, but the early, the early, you know, genesis of that robed figure is still kind of fascinating to me like i'd really like to know more about exactly how that came to be ron as a massive luke jedi fan um you've just made my day i cannot wait until uh (laughs) you i I have a feeling you know it, it seems like you're on the right track here um i wait for the day that you get that final piece of the puzzle that would really connect the entire picture for you and uh i you know, I love your blog posts. I think it's um, what you do with the blog is um, one of the best parts of, of our hobby and one of the most informative and educational um, parts. And, and you've really you've really introduced a lot of new information, um, you and, and the, the team of people who have done it, too. So um, I know Yehuda has written, um, Yehuda Kleinman, uh, Jonathan McElwain, um, and many others who have contributed. And it, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but that Luke Jedi story in the Luke and Robes one uh, is probably my most anticipated uh, article from the blog. Uh, so, um, I, yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, if I wrote it now, I wouldn't have that. It would be kind of like, oh, here's this missing piece of information we don't have, which could still be a good article. It's just, it's just, I put it off because it's just you need that piece. To, what's that? You need that last piece. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I just also need to. It's just I need to collect like every picture, early picture of Luke Jedi I can find. They get everybody has like one of the prototypes to send photos, and you know just because you will if you look at a bunch of early Lukes, you'll see Luke Jedi's. You'll see like the the head. There's a bunch of different heads even in the early photos like that they redid. And so I, like I said, I have one of them attached to that Luke and Robes figure, uh, and 
that's an interesting, interesting topic. It, it, that's definitely probably, is that the coolest figure Kenner did? It's gotta be up there. Like that's probably the coolest figure. Um, the Luke Jedi just, or the Luke and robes? Luke Jedi. Oh yeah. Just was eventually made. I mean, it's like, it's just cool. It's got three accessories and it's just, just a cool character and it looks cool. And it's just kind of so emblematic of that whole Jedi line. Um, that's uh it's just a cool figure and it, it's got a cool story too it's not like it's not like some of these these don't have much to say about but luke jedi is like if you know about the history of what they went into that figure there's a lot of interesting material there starting with that luke and robes i feel like you've just teased a future episode a uh, future conversation <laughs> for the two of us so this is wonderful <laughs> yeah maybe you never know david all right. Well, Ron, I want to thank you so much for taking time again today to uh, to speak with me on this, for sharing items from your collection, as well as the stories that went with them. Um, it is always a pleasure and a blessing talking to you. It's been great getting to know you and building up a friendship over the years. Um, and I, I just, I look forward to any time we can hang out or, or have one of these conversations. Oh, likewise, David, you know, it's always, uh, it's always great talking to you because it makes me realize, um, how exciting the rest of my life is because you're just so boring that it kind of puts it all into a beautiful contract. <laughs> well, th- I, I really appreciate those kind of words. <laughs> no problem, man. I, I, I'm always late with the compliments. But <laughs> you know how absolutely dreadful these talks are. It, just one more question for you before we go. Is there, uh, is there a collector event or are there a few collector events that you're looking forward to attending in 2024? Um. Oh, 2024. Oh, the the Atlanta thing. I'm definitely going to that. I'm looking forward to the Atlanta. What's it called? May the fourth, or it, it's called Rogue Fun. Um, Rogue it's, Fun. It's, it's happening yeah, in Rogue. Georgia. It's it's similar to the annual event that we have up here. Yeah, it's going to be. It's definitely those guys kind of taking the annual thing and and kind of running with it. So I'm happy to see that. But I'm really looking forward to um, kind of going down there and just you know seeing people i'm assuming you're going to be down there so we'll get to spend some time together i am and tickets are sold out and there's a, a wait list of i think at least 20 people so far so um there i, I think an, uh, a vast number of our collector friends will be heading down there um for for the yeah, may the people, fourth weekend pretty people who didn't get tickets who are going anyway just to hang out so that's another option i mean you don't, you don't have to necessarily go to that ticketed part to to have fun no and this will be a nice one too because there are there are a lot of different collectors from different clubs and different areas of, of the country and internationally that will be attending. And it's just, um, I haven't seen this much excitement over a meetup. Um, I really, I guess since our annual, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It definitely seems people are excited about it, so it should be good. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you and hopefully some of your, some of your other listeners down there. Right. Well, Ron, thank you again. Uh, this was so much fun. I've learned so much. I can't wait for your your upcoming blog posts whenever they are, whatever year they, they come out. Um, but uh, yeah, and I look forward to more conversations with you like this. All right. Anytime. Just let me know. Looking forward to seeing you soon, too. All right. Have a great one. All right. You too. Take it easy, David. Thank you.